Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Chris Graham here. We're going to talk some UVA basketball, a little bit of Virginia Tech basketball, and maybe some UVA football uh, here on the show. Uh, recording this on Tuesday afternoon. We're still a few hours away from tonight's tip. Uh, UVA and NC State, uh, 9 o'clock start over at JPJ. Uh, I talked about this on the pod yesterday. Uh, I, I did some research, finally. Got a, like a little column one, the economics of 9 p.m. tips. <laughs> you know it's because of TV. Uh, that, that was a given, but I did some research. Uh, according to the College Athletics Database, which is a really fun site to get into if you're a math nerd like me, 28.3% of college revenues come from media rights. That's TV. Um, it's by far the single biggest line item on the revenue side for uh, college athletics. This is aggregate, not just UVA specific, but everybody. Uh, 16.5% comes from ticket sales. So it's almost two to one. It's close to two to one uh, from, from TV to, to ticket sales. And so nine o'clock tips, uh, how, how do they make sense? Well, if you're in an athletics director's office, you say the people buying the tickets are going to come no matter what time we put them out there. I mean, reasonably, we're not going to do it two in the morning. Um, that money's a given. It's fixed. It's there. It's already in the bank. Uh, the TV money, we need to you know, work on that. That's where we can make more money. Um, and uh, it's, it's, so it's not quite to the point. I think I said this yesterday. You're paying money to be part of the background of the TV show, but it's close to that. Um, it's clear that if they're going to bend over backwards, though, they're going to go bend over backwards for TV. Um, that's why we had a noon tip. What was it? The Boston College game, wasn't it? I think it was a Saturday game, a noon tip, which is too early for basketball. Um, unless you're in a tournament situation and then the nine o'clock tip. This is the fourth 9 p.m. tip, weeknight 9 p.m. tip for UVA basketball this season. It'll probably be the final. There's only one more game. Uh, it's a road game, too, that doesn't have a, a set time, a TBA beside it on the schedule. Um, all the other games have a time. So um, no more of these this season for Virginia fans, at least at home. Uh, I don't think I saw any on the road either necessarily. Now, there could be a 9 p.m. tip uh, in the ACC tournament if Virginia gets far enough. That means you're playing probably Friday night. And actually, in Virginia, eh, if you're the two or three seed, you'd be playing 9 o'clock. Um, uh, you know, and I talked about how it's hard to, you know, it's, if, if you're going to the game, it's hard. If you're even watching on TV, it's hard to stay up for a 9 o'clock game for a lot of people. If you've got work the next morning, a lot of folks I know um, have a much earlier get up than I do. <laughs> I'm a late night guy. Um, the, the frustrating thing is that this is a game, this game tonight is on the ACC network, which hardly anybody watches. You can just tell that a little pro tip for you here. Um, look at the quality of the commercials to see how many people are watching because ACC network, I wrote a, I wrote to the ACC folks. It's been a few, it's, it's been a year maybe to ask why I couldn't, couldn't find Nielsen ratings for the ACC network. And, and it's not just the ACC network. Actually, the other, the other like the SEC and the Big Ten networks don't have Nielsen ratings for them either. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you sell ads. You don't have numbers to give to people. They, they probably have, obviously, they have the numbers to give to the, to the advertisers. But we, the public, can't know what they're, how many people are watching. Um, but you can tell by looking at the quality of the commercials again, you know, they're not good commercials. There's, you know, three, there's three minute timeouts where there's a couple of house ads, anything that's a ESPN ad or an ad for the next game as a house ad, they're not getting any money for those. Uh, then you get those little infomercial type ad you get the ads for all those companies that are going to go out of business. They claim soon. They're not paying a lot of money for those ads. Um, so we're staying up late tonight so that the ACC network can have something at nine o'clock to broadcast that hardly anybody's watching. Um, and this will make you feel even better. Uh, there's three ACC games on the schedule tonight. We're the nine o'clock game. There's three ACC games tomorrow night. 
on the schedule. They're all at 7 o'clock. Uh, at 9 o'clock, the ACC network reverts back to this other programming that nobody watches, the the well, fill-in programmings, uh, programs that, again, nobody watches. So I don't know how this works. I don't know how the ACC network uh, actually makes money. It's supposed to be the thing that gets us on an even footing or more even footing uh, with um, – uh, SEC Network, uh, Big Ten Network, which, you know, those conferences make so much more money than the ACC. The ACC Network, uh, it was just too way too late launched. Um, and and the TV, the TV industry is obviously changing too. the way people watch TV is changing. So lots of things working against us there. Uh, bottom line, we're staying up late tonight and it's not going to make anybody any extra money. It's <laughs> just going to keep us up later and keep us Either those of us who have to work tomorrow morning uh, early and be at work tomorrow morning early, even if you're watching on TV, uh, you can thank the the lack of money from the ACC network for that. Um, if you are calling in sick or taking a personal day or at least a personal half day, that's also the case there. So, um, you know, I got a quick uh, a couple quick things to go into with the UVA game uh, tonight. Uh I wrote a column last night. I know a lot of folks have commented on it, mostly on the Facebook page, uh, where I suggested Caden Shedrick. <laughs> I'm thinking he needs to start again. Uh, the 6'11 center who started 14 games for Virginia this season. If not start, at least get off the bench. He didn't play in the Virginia Tech loss. The frustrating thing, if you're a Caden Shedrick fan, and I count myself as that. I've, I've written a couple columns about Shedrick and how he, um, how he does things differently on the floor than other guys can do. Um, on January 10th, that was the morning of day of the Carolina game. I think that was a nine o'clock tip. If I don't remember, if I remember correctly, um, he was leading the ACC in box plus minus defensive box plus minus defensive rating. He was second in block percentage, fourth in player efficiency rating. These are all good things. <laughs> um, he lost his starting job that night when Tony Bennett went to Ben Vanderplas at the five to try to shake things up. Virginia was offense was stagnating in that game though. I think Carolina led by six or seven early in the second half. From the time that uh, Bennett went to Ben Vanderplas uh, at the five with a small ball lineup, basically four guards around Vanderplas, Virginia outscored Carolina about 13 the rest of the way. So, yeah, it was a six-point deficit because Virginia won by seven. And thereafter, uh, since that game, uh, Vanderplas has been a fixture in the starting lineup, and uh, Shedrick has played 38 minutes over the last six games. Um, the, the, the thing is, uh, and I talked about this at length on the podcast yesterday, so I won't necessarily go too much into the rehash here, but um, the offense is, has started to come back to earth the last couple of games. The defense is is struggling a bit. Van, 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 ben Vanderplas, who one-on-one is a pretty solid defender, um, season-long numbers at least, uh, since he's had to, uh, to start guarding the the, the fives the, in the ACC, um, he's, he's started to struggle a bit. And Virginia's having to – Tony Bennett's having to send double teams over to help him out. Uh, when there is a when, – when the big in question is a good passer out of those double teams – that's that's when things get to, to be in trouble. Uh, Syracuse, if they had knocked down some shots, would have won that game last week. Virginia won 67-62 up in the Dome. Syracuse only 3 of 15 from 3 in that one. And uh, what Virginia Tech was able to do, 7 of 18 from 3, which is modestly better. I mean, it's you know it's better. It's 38-point-something percent. But also the Hokies were, were not just content to pass out of double teams and settle for three-point shots actually attacked the rim a good bit out of those double teams. And Justin Mutz had eight assists, so he's kicking out to some three-point shooters uh, out of those double teams. He was also finding cutters to the basket. Those kind of situations would could, could be where a, a, a Caden Shedrick, who's a, a elite shot blocker, could be a big help uh, to Virginia defensively. 
Um, and Vanderplas last in, in that game on Saturday, zero points in 29 minutes. If he's going to give you zero points um, offensively and then be a liability defensively, makes you think that there's there's maybe some kind of change coming on. Whether it's Shedrick starting, Shedrick coming off the bench and getting 20 minutes, um, you're going to need to see more than zero minutes of Shedrick for this team going forward, I think, to, to see Virginia have some chance of success. Uh, and, and really good success, the kind of success that I think a lot of us think that this team with the talent that it has uh, could possibly bring. So let's talk about NC State in specific. I, I, I uh, briefly alluded to just knowing NC State, uh, the way they play under Kevin Keats and have played the last several years, uh, that this team uh, is a team that it can give Virginia fits and has given Virginia fits because Keats has uh, his roster full of, of guys who can cut to the basket, drive to the basket, dribble, drive to the basket, uh, and create uh, sort of one-on-one, which is which is an antidote to Virginia's pack line defense. Virginia's pack line defense is there to stop the post passes, you know, the the, po- the post entries. Um, you know, the double teams are supposed to make it hard for the post guy, the, a big you know back to the basket post guy to be effective. Also, the the doubles on the pick and rolls, um, the hard hedging, as uh, the terminology goes in the pack line uh, uh, terminology. Um, get gets the ball out of a point guard's hands or a guard's hands uh, out on the perimeter uh, and takes some time off the shot clock uh, and and kind of puts teams on the on the defensive as far as that goes when they're on the offensive side. Um, NC State doesn't use a lot of that action. Um, what you see uh, out of these guys, uh, they only forty six point five percent of their baskets are assisted. Just for comparison, Virginia sixty seven point five percent of their baskets are assisted. That's third in the country. NC State is near three hundred two ninety five out of three sixty three in the country um, of their baskets are assisted. That that shows they rely a lot on on their guys to create for themselves, not even necessarily create for their teammates. Um, the big names, uh, and, and this is a this is a a, a really um, a, a light rotation, a, a small rotation. You'll see six or seven guys, the five starters, and a couple of one or two guys off the bench for this team. Uh, Turquavion Smith is the, is the name you're most familiar with. He came back for his sophomore season. A lot of folks thought he could have been a late first round pick. Decided to come back and try to make it a guarantee that he'd be more of a middle first round pick, so he'd be a guaranteed first round pick. 18.5 points a game, high usage, 16 field goal attempts per game. Now he does average 4.6 assists. Um, and he's and there's uh, Jerkel Joiner, uh, Jerkel Joiner, the the six one point guard, 3.2 assists per game for the most part. Those those are your assists. Those are those these two guys. Um, but Smith, his high usage, 37.9% from the field, 34.7% from three. Um, he'll get to the line, but he'll also miss a lot of shots. And so, you know, he can he can carry a team if he's hot. He can also bury his own team if he's not. Uh, Joiner is the second lady scorer on this team, the 6'1 guard, 16.2 points a game, 43% from the field, 35% from three. So a little more effective, a little more efficient on the offensive end. A name you might be familiar with, you of course are if you're a Virginia fan, Casey Morsell. Um, finally, in his second season at NC State, fourth season overall after two seasons at Virginia, finally playing up to that potential he had all those years ago. Virginia fans remember him. They would have been six years ago now when he was being recruited out of uh, the, the D.C. area, and he was a four-star recruit, one of the top guys in the D.C., uh, uh, really, really uh, competitive D.C. basketball scene. Um, struggled for two years at Virginia. Uh, struggled last year at NC State, but now he's averaging 12.6 points a game, and he's finally shooting like you knew he could shoot. 48.6% from the field, 43.9% from three. He will hit a couple threes on us tonight at least that will say, why couldn't he have done that when he was here? But uh, Morsell is definitely a, a guy for this team. And then um, 6'9", 275-pound center, C- uh, DJ Burns. This will be an interesting 
matchup for Virginia. I'll talk about this in a second. First, his numbers, 12.1 points a game. Doesn't rebound a lot in the, in the fours, 55.5% uh, from the field. So offensively, he's an interesting guy. Now, 6'9", 275. There's not a lot of guys anywhere outside of the NBA, and not even a lot of NBA guys who can match up physically with, with just what he can present in terms of his strength in the post. That, that's the size of a, a Zion Williamson type guy. Um, so I don't know that Vanderplas uh, or or Shedrick necessarily is is the answer either way. Um, straight up one on one, Shedrick at six eleven is probably about two thirty, and that's probably pushing it. Uh, Vanderplas six eight about two thirty five, a little stouter, just because he's a few inches shorter. But both those guys one on one can or can tend to get overpowered by a guy this size. Um, you're going to need to see some double teams out of there. You might see some fouls situation out of out of the five spot too. So you might see Shedrick and Cafaro um, just by default uh, in this game, even if Ben Vanderplas gets a start at the five. Um, the the rest of this, the rest of the, so those five guys, and then um, uh, actually those four guys, because uh, at the five spot, they're they're really missing Jack Clark, six eight forward putting up good numbers, but he's been out since December 30th, and I, he, he's likely still out for this one. But I'll give you his numbers. Uh, he's he's a guy that rebounds. He's a leading rebounder, 7.3 rebounds a game, 9.1 points a game. Um, and his place, because he's been out all this time, um, you've seen uh, Kevin Keats go to a mixture of guys, a couple of guys, Greg Gant and Ernest Ross. They're both 6'8", six, 6'9", six, guys. Don't produce a lot, um, and and that's that's the weak spot. If I, you know, they had Gan, I didn't get to watch this team a lot in the, in the November December part of their schedule, but I imagine that with him in there uh, doing what he does, kind of would take some pressure off of DJ Burns. That would allow Burns to focus more on the offensive end. So Clark being out is is definitely they're still winning games. They're nine and four in the ACC this state team, but I imagine they'd be even better if they had this Clark kid. So. Um, what can you expect from NC State offensively? I mentioned, you know, just generally speaking, overview, um, a lot of one-on-ones. Um, when you look at uh, – I looked at Synergy Sports, uh, which provides uh, a breakdown of what, what type of plays they run, how effective they are at those types of plays. Transition, 18.18% of their offense comes from transition, and they shoot 56.5% effective field goal percentage. That factors in threes. That factors in free throws in addition to the field goal percentage, the actual field goal percentage. Um, you're not going to see a lot of transition, obviously, in this game out of NC State. You know, playing against Virginia, but that so that that could be an issue for NC State to have to overcome. Um, they average 69.5 possessions a game. Virginia averages 62. This game will be played much closer to Virginia's 62 than it will be to the NC State's near 70 possessions per game. It's not going to be played at that pace unless we play two overtimes. That's we won't see 70 possessions in this game for each team. Um, so State will get fewer baskets in transition than they're used to. That can be an issue for State in this game. Um, uh, spot ups. Everybody's got spot ups. Uh, you know, that's when you you kick it out to a guy. They're 51.8% on spot ups, uh, something like 33% actual field goal percentage. So, that, you know, the three point shots are, are falling for this team uh, at, at, a, at a decent level. Pick and roll ball handler. Uh, this is where uh, they do get you know, 14% of their offense is pick and roll ball handler. They don't do so well in the pick and roll man. Basically, the pick and roll man is like four percent of their offense. The pick and when the, the they run pick and rolls not to not to have the man dry, uh, dive to the basket. Um, that's the diversion. They they run their pick and rolls to free up Terquavion Smith uh, and and um, uh, Jarkel Joiner. Not as much Marcel. He's a spot up guy, um, but their guards are are that's the focal point is to free up their their guards. 
And they shoot decently on those, uh, 46.7% effective field goal percentage. It's less than 50%, so it, it could be better. Post-ups, this is where the the, the big guy, the 6'9", 275 guy, DJ Burns, uh, is, a, is a factor. Um, you don't see this number very often, 57.7% effective field goal percentage on, on post-ups. And also on cuts, 66.4%. What synergy terms cuts are those, uh, you know, basically backdoor cuts in the post, in, in the lane from your big guys. So they're very good at in the post game, both in post-ups and cuts. And then you see the pick and roll ball handler situation for them. So it's kind of, as I said yesterday, without going into that detail, uh, kind of where they are. They, they're, they're a team that this, this, this style of play is, is designed to give Virginia fits, or at least works well to give Virginia fits. Um, macro kind of situation, looking at the Ken Palm numbers. Uh, I mentioned the, the assisted baskets. Um, just looking at ACC play, um, these two teams match up pretty well uh, in terms of their their efficiency numbers. Uh, NC State is fourth in the AC, in, in ACC games in adjusted offense. Virginia's third, and they're very close to each other in terms of their productive output. Um, and then defensively, Virginia's a little better. Actually, Virginia's a, a good little bit better. Um, uh, third third in uh, um, points per possession uh, uh, versus um, NC State's sixth and. And that's where the discrepancy between these two teams is um, a few points a game in a 60 possession game. It'll be three or four points just because Virginia is better defensively. And I mentioned the tempo numbers. Uh, it's going to play to Virginia's style. It, it always plays to Virginia's style. It's just, that's just the way it works. So, um, so that one's at nine o'clock. Uh, I had a suggestion from a reader, reader slash listener to uh, revive the post game uh, podcast. So we're going to do that tonight. Uh, I usually sit at courtside and write a, a, a post-game story. I think I'll – I mean, I can work on that anytime. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll work on the post-game podcast tonight. It'll be a quick one, 10 or 15 minutes, but we'll do this. I mean, we'll do something like this, and we'll see if if folks can uh, you know get some value out of that. So we'll have that posted. We'll see the game likely ends around 11, right? So if I get that posted by about 11, 15, 11, 20, I'll look for that if you could. I would do it on Facebook Live uh, or YouTube Live, but um, maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll experiment with that. See if see if I can get on YouTube Live. We'll see if we can work on that. Um, in, in any case, I, I think I might just be, be more comfortable doing it, uh, recording it, and then posting it uh, in, in full. So um, we'll, we'll we'll play around with that. Anyway, um, so that's what we'll do tonight. Uh, of course, after the game tonight, we'll have then our regular post game recap. Or what did just what what did we just see? Which gosh, I'm so. Plus, that's taken off the five observations columns that I've been writing. Get lots of reads, and I'm very blessed that that's the case. So thank you for for clicking on those stories. I really appreciate it. Um, I should do a quick preview of the Virginia Tech game just because I – here on the podcast, just because I spent some time writing it. Virginia Tech tomorrow night plays Boston College. ACC Network, 7 o'clock tip. Unfair. <laughs> um, Boston College uh, at Virginia Tech. These two teams played earlier in the season. Back when Virginia Tech was 11-1 and in the top 25, if you remember – and Tech lost this one up there in Chestnut Hill, 70-65, and only lost the game. But then uh, Hunter Couture injured his elbow. I've read that uh, there was a break in there. I'm not sure if it was the elbow itself or, or, or you know, some a bone around the elbow. But he missed four games. Uh, Tech lost the, the Boston College game. Then those four games, part of a stretch where they went 2-8. and eight. And that's what knocked Tech from being a, a top 25 team all the way down to being way on the other side of the NCAA tournament bubble. Now, the win over Virginia is part of a three wins and four game stretch and includes also a win over Duke at home. Uh, and so the Hokies are back on track. Um, and uh, these two teams will play at seven o'clock tomorrow night. 
The first one, uh, Tech was at full strength, so there's no excuse there. They didn't lose. Couture played 30 minutes in the game, uh, so you know he's he's one. He's he had five points, didn't have a very big game, but uh, Tech had to rally from nine down uh, in regulation for final four nineteen of regulation to to force overtime. They were down 57-48 with four nineteen to go. Came back, tied the game at 59. Actually had the last shot. Darius Maddox missed the last shot. Could have won the game in regulation and then shot three of 10 in the overtime. Boston College pulled out the win. Sean Padula had 18 points. Justin Mutz, 18 points in that one for the Hokies. Uh, Makai Ashton Langford, 21 for Boston College. Also 18 from Devin McLaughlin. And uh, it's funny going into this game. I mean, you know, Virginia Tech's a big favorite when you look at the projections. The uh, the I don't look at Vegas. I look at the... The computers and what they say, uh, the computers have uh, Tech a 13, anywhere from 13 to 16 points uh, favored in this game. But Boston College is ahead of Virginia Tech in the standings, uh, five and eight, Tech's four and eight. Um, and I want to say it's deceptive because two of those wins over Notre Dame and one or one's over Louisville, but then one is head to head over Virginia Tech. And then the other, the other is over Clemson, uh, who currently is still in first place in the ACC overall. So, uh, yeah. You know, I, I think you want to look at this game and say it's just Boston College, but uh, you know, yeah, this this Boston College team only won one game in the ACC on the road, but um, it's 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 it could be a matchup. So, see how that goes for the Hokies. Um, let's see. Last thing I'll jump into. Um, I just want to highlight. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'll talk about the fact that, and a lot of folks have commented on this. Quite a few dozens of people have commented on this story about UVA football. Um, uh, Tony Elliott, um, you know, I sat down just to give you the backstory, I guess, on this column I wrote. I, the, the headline is, by the way, Carla Williams wanted to tear down. She and Tony Elliott need to be made to own it. I started the uh, column um, because I was going to write a story wrapped around uh, Tony Elliott's comments, basically saying um, Marcus Higgins, who's leaving uh, as wide receivers coach, uh, you know, the UVA alum who was at, at UVA as a coach for 12 years. Um, he's leaving to go to Penn State. So Tony was thanking him for and wishing him well in his future endeavors. He was also at, and this is at last week's uh, press conference he did on signing day. Uh, no additional signees on signing day, but he still did a press conference. Uh, he wished Brennan Armstrong, who's going to NC State, well in his future endeavors, thanked him for his service. And then Nick Jackson, who at the time last Wednesday when Tony was talking to the media, was still, there was still an outside shot that he might stay at Virginia. He's now, we know, have he's moved on to, um, uh, well, he's not moved on to anywhere specific. He just has made it clear he's not coming back to Charlottesville. Uh, Tony was wishing him well in his future endeavors. And I was kind of writing about that, and I started thinking, you know, those guys, uh, Hagen's sort of the he's, – he's a holdover on, on the coaching staff. He coached under Mike London, coached under Bronco Mendenhall, one year under Tony Elliott. Having him gone, it's now totally Tony Elliott's staff in terms of, you know, no holdovers because uh, Garrett Touje – Offensive line coach that he uh, inherited from Bronco Mendenhall staff is also gone. He's down at NC State now with Brennan Armstrong and also Robert Anai, the former offensive coordinator under Bronco Mendenhall. So there's no more coaches left over. Well, I want to, gosh, maybe Clint Sinem's still around. I'm not sure if Sinem, yeah, Sinem's still around. I just don't know. I can't remember if he was on his staff under Bronco or not. I have to look that up. But um, not with the longevity, certainly, that Marcus Hagan. And then you lose uh, your your the quarterback of your offense. Certainly, uh, the quarterback, uh, Brennan Armstrong, and then the quarterback of your defense, middle linebacker, Nick Jackson. The teardown is complete. That's what registered with me as I was getting ready to write a story that was going to be a nice story about him wishing those guys well in their future endeavors. Sort of made me realize he came in telling us December of 2021 he was going to 
uh, rebuild the culture, which at the time stuck out because the culture didn't seem to be, need to be rebuilt. Bronco Mendenhall had inherited a program that had put up losing seasons in seven of his last eight years before he took over, went on to a two and 10 season in year one under him. So eight losing seasons in nine years by 2019, uh, year four of his tenure, Virginia was in the orange bowl. Virginia had never played in an orange bowl before. Um, and so um, the last two seasons were five and five in the COVID year, 2020, and then six and six in 2021. But to say that you needed to re, you know, rebuild the culture a bit of a stretch to say the least, but it, you know, when you start thinking through things, you realize, ah, he didn't come in and tell Carla Williams, he was going to do something different. And then when he got the job, uh, then told the world, I'm going to rebuild the culture. He got the job. You have to, you have to know this. Carla Williams had to say, I need you to rebuild the culture. She didn't hire Bronco Minnell. Remember she came on after Bronco. He'd, he'd been there for a year. Um, in fact, yeah, I, I remember we were sitting in the press box uh, at the military bowl in 2017, the first bowl Virginia had been to in quite a, quite a few years. Um, and, um, you know, Carla was still relatively new sitting up in the press box uh, up there with us. Uh, and so, yeah, she inherited Bronco. Um, and, and this is her guy. Uh, uh, Tony Elliott's her guy. So, so, you know, they wanted to rebuild things, even though they didn't need to be rebuilt. To rebuild, you tear down. They tore down. I tell you what, if you're tearing down something, they did a great job tearing down what Bronco had built. Last year's three and seven record is an excellent teardown. That's among the best teardowns I've ever seen. It's also among the worst teardowns I've ever seen because Virginia, uh, the the fact that um, Elliott dawdled on hiring a new offensive coordinator, eventually in early January, naming Des Kitchings to that job is why the offensive line left in mass uh, in December of, of 2021. One of those guys, uh, Victor Oluwatimi, ends up being the Outland Trophy winner, just to talk about the quality of the offensive line guys they lost. That's a big reason why the offense last year uh, was awful. Went from 515 yards per game of offense in 2021 to 368 yards of offense per game last year. The defense, I mean, he hired a great defensive coordinator, John Rosinski from Air Force, turned things around greatly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and looking back, if Carla Williams had just told, and, and she did, she told Bronco Mendenhall, you need to replace your defensive coordinator. If Bronco had said, yes, I'll replace my defensive coordinator, I'll bring John Rosinski in. Virginia's not three and seven last year. They're probably eight and two or nine and one with that offense. If they keep, you know, keep the offensive line, keep running in place, get a new defensive coordinator, get that because Rosinski turned this basically the same guys in 2021 who couldn't tackle anybody into a force last year. Okay. So uh, that's where that's, that's why things are where they are. You know, you couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't keep the the band together. And uh, the team was three and seven before what happened on November 13th, the tragedies. And um, so um, now the teardowns complete. You got, you know, the heart and soul of your offense, heart and soul of your defense, heart and soul of your coaching staff uh, are out the door. This is totally Tony's team, and it's totally Carla Williams' situation. So now the reason for my lack of optimism looking forward, it's not because of anything. Tony Elliott seems like a stand-up guy. Um, probably, uh, and, yeah, we'll write a story about this later in the week. He had some comments at his presser last week about the lessons he learned in year one. And there's a lot of them. I typed up 1500 words of notes from his comments on his lessons from year one that he learned. 
Um, first time head coach, you're going to learn on the job and, you know, you learn a lot of things. Um, but, um, the, the, the biggest thing is as far as the future, I mean, okay. So if you're going to be a developmental program, which is what UVA football needs to be, Virginia is not going to get the five-star kids that the Alabama's the SEC schools in general, except for Vanderbilt, uh, go for. And a lot of them, you know, the, the ones at the top get, you're not going to get the, the kind of players that Tony coached at Clemson when he was offensive coordinator there for seven years. You're going to get guys that um, are smart kids who some of them are really good football players and want to get a great education. Some of them are, are guys who are, are great students, good football players who can be coaching to being great football players potentially. Um, and you're going to need to develop them. You're going to need to be patient and, and work with them and get them built up. Right. Uh the ACC, the recruiting uh, ranked 13th in the ACC this year. Um, uh, Tony's first full year with he and his staff on the trail. No excuses. This is your recruiting. You own this. 13th in the ACC out of 14 schools. Um, not a lot of guys that are going to be coming in that project certainly as year one starters. Maybe Cam Robinson, the linebacker, uh, may have to because of losing Mick Jackson. <laughs> he may be pressed into a role a little sooner. He he might have he might have uh, contended for if not a starting role, he, he may have contended anyway, a borderline four-star uh, high school linebacker out of, out of Virginia. Um, he may, he may have pressed for at least, you know, a lot of snaps, but now he's going to be playing for um, potentially from some starting time. But um, uh, you know, so not a lot on the recruiting trail, the the transfer portal has brought in some guys there, you know, there's a, a, a Cameron Kelly doing these names from memory. Now the, the uh, North Carolina safety who may transition to cornerback. Uh, there's the Iowa state cornerback who put up good numbers a couple of years ago, not so good last year. They're replacing the other two best players on the defensive side, Fentrell Cypress tra who's transferring out. Um, and then uh, Anthony Johnson, who is going to make his stab at the NFL after, and he, he, I think Johnson would have probably had one year of eligibility left, but he's already been in college six years. And, and, you know, he's, he's, he is an NFL prospect, at least a fringe NFL prospect. So I can understand him at this point, just saying it's time to move on. Um, how many more degrees can I get basically? Right. So, but you're having to replace, you know, two elite level ACC cornerbacks with guys who at least if there's a guy from Carolina, a guy from Iowa state, they put up decent numbers. Um, you know, the, at least there's a, a, a chance at a one for one replacement, maybe not, but it'll be close. Right. But um, you know, you're having to replace Nick Jackson. There's not a lot coming back at linebacker. Um, detailed that a lot. Talked about that a lot yesterday on the podcast. Um, offensive side of the ball, once again. So they they had to replace the offensive line from 2021. The makeshift offensive line that they put together last year, gone. There four four starters gone. Uh, two to the transfer portal. Two just giving up on football. That's how much. That's how invested they were in, in year one under Tony Elliott, that they're just giving up on football with eligibility left. Um, and so there's the, the offensive line is very green, very inexperienced. Um, the, the room doesn't even have the number of guys that, that you want. Uh, Tony Elliott said back in December, he wanted 15 guys in the room. There's 12 right now in the offensive line group. So they need to find some more numbers. Um, even And even the numbers they've got aren't, experienced guys at this stage. So if you can't block, you're going to have trouble on the offensive side. Um, if you can't cover on the defensive side and you can't tackle at the linebacker spot, you're going to have trouble there. Um, you know, we look at next year and you say this, this, the, the 2022 team was three and seven. The schedule is challenging next year. You start with Tennessee, you got JMU, your home opener. JMU is going to, JMU won eight games in their first year in FBS. And they've got that one. They got that one circled. 
They they want to they want to win in, in in Charlottesville. They don't even want to just win by a lot a little. They want to win by a lot. Um, even the FCS game, William and Mary. William and Mary was in the playoffs this year. Uh, <laughs> FCS that one won't be easy. That one's in October. Um, the ACC schedule is not going to be easy. Uh, NC State comes to town with Brennan Armstrong, with Robert and I, with Garrett Touje uh, in September on a Friday night. Uh, you know, there's there's just not a lot there that that makes you think. Looking at the schedule. I mean, four wins is a stretch. Three wins might be asking for something. Two wins is probably where the over-under is. I mean, two and a half wins is probably your over-under. If you're a betting person and you want to put some money down, I put it on the under. Um, And looking ahead, so that's part of a a teardown, right, is is year two is going to be tough. That happens with a lot of coaches. George Welsh in year two, um, was was still building the program and, and, and struggled a bit there first couple of years. And so you're you're getting your guys in. It takes a while to to get your system in place. Year three. Year three is when you should start. Okay, we've had two recruiting classes in now. We've got a third one coming in. We should start having some guys. But the recruiting the last two years has not been good. So what do you have? Well, let's let's go pluck the transfer portal. We haven't been doing a good job on the transfer portal. So year three. All of a sudden, you're three years in now, and next year, you know, you, you, it's hard to imagine that year three makes you think of four wins even being realistic, much less, you know, even that, that lofty status of four and eight. So if he's three years in with three wins, maybe three wins, maybe four wins, I mean, that's – and I think I'm being optimistic the next two years saying three, three, and four. Even if you have that, you got ten wins in three years. Um. You know, how, how many of you out there listening to this are looking forward to three, three, and four in the first three years and then looking ahead? Hey, I can't wait till 2025. This is this is this is something. This is something that's going to be hard to deal with. Um, you know, we're already not seeing people at the games. You know, I, I know the announce the average attendance last year announced attendance was over 40,000 somehow. Having been in a stadium for all those games, there were not 40,000 people at those games. They might have sold tickets. They might have sold season tickets. Whatever they they might be counting the kids in a certain way that come to the game or that counting them as coming to the games. There aren't forty thousand people there most Saturdays. Um, that's why UVA athletics is struggling right now financially. It's going to struggle even more if 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 when if we were still a winning, relatively winning program going into this season. You know, we were in the Orange Bowl in twenty nineteen. Uh, put up all those numbers in offense last year. We were just a defense away from being a really good team last year. You still can't draw 40,000 to games. Where are we going to be by 2025 after three wins, three wins, four wins? I'm being optimistic saying those numbers even, but what are we, where are we going to be in 2025 in terms of season tickets and how many people show up on Saturdays? We're going to be nowhere. So this and, and where that bothers me is then, yeah, I've talked about basketball out here in this podcast. If if football's not making the money it needs to make, that that impacts men's basketball, it impacts women's basketball, it impacts baseball and softball, it impacts everything at, on, on grounds at UVA. If the football team is is not making the money it needs to make, so um, this was this was a ballsy move. Well, I'll be I'm being positive when I say that by Carla Williams to tear down the football program, starting over from scratch, and then now it's not working out. It's it's we're one year into it and it's not it's clearly it's clearly behind the eight ball. I'm using a cliche there, obviously, but it's clearly behind the eight ball. 
Um, and hey, man, I'll tell you what, I'm still going out there. I'll be going out there on Saturdays, the one Friday night. I think there's a Thursday road game. I'm still going out there hoping that the good guys in orange and blue, obviously hoping that, that, that they win the games. I will love to be wrong and see you know, if this team win six or seven games next year. I will love for me to be way wrong about my presumptions there. And, and then even better in 2024, I can't wait to be proven wrong. I'm not going to be proven wrong. And um, realistically, you know, we're looking at uh, sometime probably in that 2025 season, year four, that uh, a move will be made. Similar, if you're looking for an, uh, a, a blueprint, looking for, looking for how this is going to play out. Georgia Tech this past year, uh, year four of Jeff Collins, wasn't working out. He started at one and three, and in, at the end of September, they fired not only Jeff Collins, the school did, but also fired the AD who hired him. And that's, that's where things are heading. September, whatever, last week of September, after the, the Saturday game that week, um, game four of that 2025 season, we're going to be probably getting ready to hire a new AD and, and, and head football coach. And that I'm not looking forward to that. I, you know, none of y'all looking forward to that. We, we, we are the long terms of long timers of us anyway, remember kind of fleetingly now the end of the George Welsh years um, where people, some people amongst us couldn't stand that the bar was set that, Okay, if we at least win seven games, that's good. We need to be winning more, we we said, and, and George kind of felt the pressure and decided to step away. Um, wouldn't we just – what would we give now <laughs> to just win at least seven games every year, right? Been a while. Um, anyway, so tonight, Virginia, NC State, um, 9 o'clock tip, late night. Uh, I'll jump on as quickly as I can afterwards uh, and and do something uh, post-game uh, from JPJ. Uh, and uh, I'm thinking more and more we'll try that on YouTube Live. I've done that here before, so we'll hopefully – and the internet, internet's good there. It, it, it'll work. Um, but we'll do a quick recap of the game here on uh, – we'll do it on YouTube uh, for the people who are listening to the podcast. I'll, I'll make sure to upload it there, too. It might be a little later when I upload the podcast, but you'll be asleep anyway. It's late night. Um, it'll be ready for you in the morning. Let's just say it that way uh, on the podcast side. And then, of course, we'll have all, all of our all of our postgame stuff. Uh, I'll write the first two stories tonight, the, uh, the the traditional game recap type thing that I do, which is not really – I don't really do, do the traditional recap anymore, but my version of traditional recap, and then I'll do my observations column. Tomorrow, then, morning, I'll wake up later. And uh, – We'll have uh, the post game, uh, more thorough post game uh, with comments from Tony and the two players they give us, um, and some thoughts from Kevin Keats as well. I'm sure to interject into there, uh, and then we'll head to Saturday with Duke coming to town. Lot to lot to look forward to here uh, from a UVA sports podcast perspective. Thank you for listening. If you have uh, comments, suggestions, uh, the, the, for example, the suggestion uh, today, uh, Chris revived those post games. Uh, email me at chris at augustafreepress.com.